Welcome to Tad Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Strategy Podcast. This is your host, Tad Dickel. And I'm joined today with our guest, J.P. Engelbrecht, CEO of South Central Inc. J.P., welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. J.P., would you begin by telling our listeners a little bit about your background? Well, as I've warned you, the question is, do you want it to be true or interesting? It will not be both, Ted. (laughs) So I'll do my best. I'm third generation to run my family's firm, uh, founded here in Evansville back in 1946. Doing this for over 75 years. But we are what is lovingly known now as a family office. Uh, Ten years ago, nobody knew what that was. Frankly, we didn't know what that was. Uh, But we're a holding company of diverse businesses and uh, passive and active investments. So we've been in all kinds of things. The uh, legacy businesses were radio, television, uh, Muzak, old school brand name there. But now we've gotten into banking. We had a cookie company. We're in addiction treatment. Got a couple manufacturing businesses, one in fire protection and one in plastics. So We don't lack for variety around here. Great. Well, congratulations on 75 years. In some of the family business work I do, they talk about the um, low likelihood of the third generation being successful. So clearly, in the last several years, you've, you've had a lot of successes and changed the business. Tell me about maybe how that statistic has kind of guided some of the work that you've done. Well, frankly, it keeps me running scared. If you were to look behind you on my office shelf, there's a bunch of things from the Family Business Consulting Group that I've read over decades that talk about how big of a failure I'm going to be as third generation. Um, And it was reminded to me as I was coming up in the business, and even before then, when I was in high school, my father says, you know, son, you're the one who's going to screw it up. (laughs) I like to tell people that, yes, I was born on third base. I did not hit a triple. And yeah, statistically, I'm the one who's going to burn it down. Now, that is a little morbid because my family business actually burned down in the early 80s. So that, you know, some people look at that and they go, that's a little stretch there. Uh, but it is, it, for me, it is a thing about running scared. Uh, being 43, it's still frightening to me how much I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that has driven me for as long as I can remember to try to almost be a learning junkie. Say, how can I get better? Who can I surround myself with? Because there's always someone at your heels. There's always a burning platform, whether you know it or not. You got to grow or you, or you die. Yeah, I think one of the things that makes you unique is that you have certainly not maintained the status quo. You've really evolved the business over your, your time as CEO. So, I mean, it, it looks completely different than it did when you took over and joined the family business 20 years ago. Yes, and that was not by design. Uh, if you were to put your consulting hat on, Ted, and you were to get out, uh, call it the Myers-Briggs or the Predictive Index or the MPO, or pick your personality thing, you would look at me as the most boring and quiet of all three generations of guys who have run this company. But I'm the one responsible for the most dramatic change since its founding. I just thought, honestly, I was going to do what my father and grandfather did. Run radio stations, run television stations, run AV companies uh, in a bunch of states. But things changed, and uh, we had to make adjustments. Right. 
the way it goes sometimes. One of the reasons I wanted to interview you was because I had read an article that you were interviewed in the Evansville Business Magazine a few months ago, and the article was about entrepreneurs, and you had said that the problem with entrepreneurs, they often want to say it's money or lack of capital investment in this region, but the real problem when entrepreneurs are unsuccessful is typically leadership. And so that piqued my interest, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about what you meant by that comment. Yeah, that comment has not made me many friends because it is a convenient excuse. And it is an excuse because that is out. money is outside of yourself when you're an entrepreneur trying to start something. So that is blaming an external factor. Um, that is the proverbial fingers pointing all the, when you have one finger pointing away, look at how many are pointing back at you. So the reason is it is leadership because it comes down to discipline. What can you control? You often can't control the flow of money. Uh, it's not yours at the time when you're the entrepreneur, but you can control where you spend your time. Uh, you talked about Seth Godin while we were setting up here. Uh, one of his things he talks about is don't wait too long. Ship the product. Just ship it. Sometimes they wait too long. They try to make it perfect or they don't spend the time to actually do a real financial forecast that you can put in front of someone who has money that would go, yes, I believe that is a reasonable return on investment. So it's about the discipline and the hard work to be prepared for when you're sitting down somewhere with someone who has a checkbook, that you're ready to go. You say, I have not only an idea, I have an investment for you that is going to be meaningful and that you are going to feel good about making with me. Mm -hmm. Normally it's, hey, I got this really cool thing. It's going to be awesome. That's it? No, show me something. Tell me a story. Show me how it can make money. Capital will go just like water does to its natural level. Mm -hmm. And the natural level is people who can execute because of their leadership and management talent. Right. What do you see then as you're, as you're looking to make an investment in a company? You mentioned discipline from the leadership. What other qualities are you looking for? For us, it's management is the sword and the stone. Mm -hmm. Every time we've made money, every time we've lost money, it hinges upon management. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm in sometimes tumultuous industries, and the reason the investment stays together is because of management. They don't chase the shiny balls. Jim Collins talks about verifying an option. He talks about firing bullets before cannonballs. That's a discipline measure. Yes, you have to try things. You have to experiment. You have to try new things that may or may not work. But it's that discipline around doing the things that you can control. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason God only gave us five fingers. That's about what we can handle. You get five priorities or less and go execute on those five priorities. Because the reality is if you got 20 things on your to-do list today, Tad, how many of you are really going to get done? Right. Get the number down, execute on those few things that are going to be the most material to your success, and it's amazing how successful you're going to become. It reminds me of a conversation I had with Andy Gable one time, a retired president former of— Former board member of ours. Okay, former board member. He's retired president of Vectoran, 
energy. And one of the things he talked about, we, we had a conversation about strategy, and he said it really comes down to leadership. And if you have good leaders, the strategy will come. And a lot of times when leaders are talking too much about strategy, they're often covering for other inadequacies. Mm-hmm. Well, we could run down the way and talk about Peter Drucker, the father of modern management. His great line was, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And who creates the ethos of culture? It's management. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think that's that's just interesting that you've you've identified that. But I definitely hear from entrepreneurs who who really uh, worry about lack of capital or or leaders who are are just unwilling to accept blame or unwilling to look inside to figure out when things don't go well. Well, you know, you could, I mean, one of the definitions we could posit here and put on the table is leadership is taking all the blame and giving all the credit or it's influence, but that's mm-hmm. the same thing. It's right. all in that bowl of leadership management stuff. Mm-hmm. But hey, you know, if it screws up, guess whose fault it is? It's mine. Mm-hmm. But the reality is when something goes well, it's really not mine. <laughs> Because my team executed on it well. Right. But when it goes badly, it's usually because I picked the wrong thing. So it has to rest on me. Who has influenced your approach to leadership? First, we have to go to a story. Okay. I got a very bizarre piece of advice when I was a teenager from my father. Uh, I grew up in the business. I was working at seven years old. My first on-air gig was when I was four. Didn't get paid for that one, so that's why I don't consider it. But I was mowing grass on the radio stations uh, at seven. But I was around my dad a lot and watching him work. And actually, we're sitting at my desk that was uh, I had as a child. This is mm. where I worked in my father's office. He said to me when I was 16, son, you pretty much know what I think about anything. If you run across a problem, an idea, an issue, you pretty much know what I'd say about that. Uh, it's time for you to find other people to learn from. And that just knocked me over. I was pretty sure that no one at 16 was being given that advice. And frankly, I checked with my friends and their dads were not telling them that. Mm-hmm. So I set out then to find guys like Andy Gable. He was my first board member mentor. Uh, when I was in my early 20s. My board of directors is tremendous. Uh, they've been there, done that, done bigger things than I have. And they actually won board of the year in, I believe, 2018 from Directors and Boards Magazine. I'm very proud of those guys. But it's also just those people who, I mean, like you, we're, we're young guys, we're in our 40s, that we've had access to, that I simply said, hey, I have a question. And no one tells me no. And it's not because I'm such this great salesman. It's they look at a guy and they say, he wants to know what I have to say. People around here and other places I've been are genuinely willing to help. I don't know if you've found the same thing. Absolutely. I've, I'm always surprised. And sometimes I wonder if it's more of an Evansville thing. But, but I, I'm surprised by... If I pick up the phone or send an email, the number of executives, successful, influential people who are willing to have a conversation or sit down and provide advice, it's, 
it, it's amazing. And that's been an important part of my development too. Well, if I could channel Pitbull for a moment, I, I don't have my aviator sunglasses on, but my hair is cropped short. Uh, you know, Mr. 305 always says, you know, ask for advice, get money twice. <laughs> I always say that in the, uh, when I work with nonprofits, I say, if, if you want advice, ask for money. If you want money, ask for advice. Hmm? It sounds like then you've been really intentional about finding mentors and f- looking to other people to, to really learn from. Well, yeah, I have to. I mean, I, I mean, we talked about it earlier. I am statistically the one who's going to screw it up. Plus, I entered this job at 22 years old, two months out of college when my father got sick. I didn't have the normal runway that other people did. So the only reason this business has survived so far in my tenure and we've been able to change it is only because of the relationships I have. It's not because of my pure skill. I don't have any. <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> you know, I barely made it out of college. I'm a hard worker. I, you know, I go to church, I hang out with my family, but I don't have any real discernible skills. I'm not a CPA. I'm not an attorney. I don't, ha- I don't have anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's purely based on me knowing a guy or a gal who knows something and who's been willing to help me. That's it. I suspect you're selling yourself short, but I understand the importance of finding those people out there that we can all learn from because probably one of the best things we can do as leaders is admit that we don't know everything and ask for help. Yeah, well, we can walk down after this and talk to my team, and they will gladly tell you all the things I am bad at and that they take from me because they're better at it than I am. It's a real open relationship we have. (laughs) Tell me about then working with your with your father. I know he was sick, but then you you worked together for years and then he ultimately passed away a few years ago. What was that experience like, especially as you moved into the CEO role? He's he's still around and you you're considering changes. What what was that relationship like? Uh, it was complicated. I mean, we can dive into the the father-son dynamic. I mean, I think any father-son has that. Ignore the business piece because you look at your father as this larger-than-life person at times. Mm-hmm. And my dad had a little – it was a little different because he was very prominent in town. And he also had this big radio voice, and he was a smoker. So he had – he just had that. Uh, he could rumble a mic, and he had this presence, and he dressed well. And so there was some intimidation there. But I, oh, there was awe. I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I can do it that way, but I want to, I want to get a little bit of that. And so, my father, while he was alive, actually would tell me, "Don't you dare live in my shadow. I will come back and haunt you." <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, that's pretty clear advice." <laughs> and so I've tried to do it a different way, or the way that most naturally fits uh, my personality, but. He would tell you if he was sitting here right now how boring, uninteresting, judgmental, and a big stick in the mud I am. And I would look at him and tell him that he was a wild man and that he needed to behave. And he would agree. Well, with that, I was the adult supervision, that is. But it worked. We had so much love and respect for each other. But my God, you could not find two more different men. Now, he would tell you that I am 
oddly suited to be the one doing this right now. Mm-hmm. We've just the generations just kind of fell how they were supposed to. It seems, mm-hmm. but I've got another twenty five years left in me. So let's see how the next twenty five go. Right. Well, it sounds like he was very open to the business changing and evolving over time. No, not really. <laughs> no, he wasn't. It was only when the pain got high enough. But that's not his. I can't I can't foist that upon him. Mm-hmm. The reality is none of us change until the pain is nasty enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in the radio business for God's sakes. That business has changed a little bit. We've been out of it now nine years. It, uh, we, we got out the right time, but we saw where it was going. A few of us in the business saw it before he did. And I kept pointing to the trends. And we were growing you know, high single digits. Mm-hmm. But the industry wasn't keeping up with GDP. So am I going to take all of the market share in the radio industry? No, I don't think so. Eventually, the merry-go-round stops. Mm-hmm. It's pretty basic economics. And eventually, it wore away at him. And uh, afterwards, uh, within two years, the industry changed massively. Mm-hmm. But it took a lot of convincing from our board and other people he respected. So it wasn't just his petulant, grouchy, boring son trying to bother him. Mm-hmm. So no, he did not go quietly into the night. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I, I I think it's just interesting to see what, how how the business changed while he was still alive at the during mm-hmm. your leadership, and and clearly you maintained a really positive relationship throughout all of that. We did. Now it was interesting. Uh, we went to a conference together up at the Chicago Booth School. We thought we were going to learn what all these really rich, smart people were going to say. So we went and spent a week together. And I drug him kicking and screaming. He did not want to go. Mm-hmm. He, ha- he was so mad that I was going to drag him to Chicago for five days to go to this you know, wealth conference. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, he said, this is the best thing we ever did as, as, together as a father and son. And it redoubled our efforts to take the money that we got from our radio station sale and reinvest it into other companies. We didn't know what we were going to do, but that event galvanized us to reinvest in other operating businesses with employees. Because even though we were so different, I glommed onto one of his best lines early, and that is being in business is an honorable calling that makes a difference in the world. And although we were so different, that event crystallized it for us that we were going to go back out and we were going to invest again. Is that, I'd be curious for you to talk a little bit about the family office then. As you, sure. as you mentioned, Ten years ago, nobody talked about what that meant. There were probably a handful of family offices in this area that maybe just didn't know what the what to call themselves. But that's been a more common name applied recently. Tell us how you came up with that idea, that concept, and just I assume it came from maybe the sale and then trying to decide what what happened next. Uh, I'd like to say that we are the trailblazers of Evansville because 10 years ago, there was no family offices. Now there's a handful. Okay. But we didn't come up with it. The reality is I was told that we were a family office. I said, oh, what's that? Uh, It was by Sarah Hamilton who basically coined the phrase. She's the uh, CEO and founder of Family Office Exchange up in Chicago. 
uh, she looked, when I met her the first time at that booth event, we were telling her about the business. She said, oh, you have an embedded family office. I'm like, great. What's that? And she said, well, you have an operating company with people who do things for your family, help with insurance needs, risk, other investments and whatnot. So, oh, yes, that's what we do. So it's just what we were doing. We didn't know any better. Right. And then how did you develop like a, a strategy? I know that you, on your website, you have some criteria that you look for yes. in investments. How did you develop that? What what made sense for you? Well, it, a lot of it was around comfort and where we thought we not only could bring value, but where we would not be out over our skis. An advisor of us for a long time said, you know, your, your family's had success in doing one thing. He said, you've been great at going where they ain't. And he goes, keep going and doing that. So we went, okay. And for us, if you look at a lot of the larger family offices, and when you go back to the big old names like Rockefeller, those folks, we're not going to play in their world. You know, guys like Michael Dell who have a family office, we're not, kind of, we're not putting out that type of capital. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it was, where do we live? We live in Indiana. We are nice people here. I mean, Indiana's a nice place. We've done business in Kentucky and Tennessee. Those are nice people too. Well, let's just go hang out with the nice folks. Mm -hmm. And it was Indiana, Kentucky, and Tennessee, which is where we had most of our operations in the past, most of our relationships. And then we said, well, we don't want to be in the media business anymore. We're not really tech folks. And so you start just putting lines through things on a piece of paper, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go, well, what's in this area? You go, well, a lot of manufacturing and services businesses. Right. And then you say, okay, well, how much money do we have? And there's a number on a piece of paper. You go, well, without over-leveraging stuff, here's what you can afford to buy. I'd love to tell you it was a very exceptionally scientific thing, Tad. But it starts getting pretty clear with a notepad. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's no. real simple. There's a limit on capital. There's a limit on experience and a limit on how many people you can talk to. Mm -hmm. Start there. Right. I think that's, that's very practical advice. I've been good. called worse. <laughs> tell me then, as you, you ran media companies, and you probably directly interacted then with employees in the, uh, you know, in those companies, those state radio stations. Now your, your interaction is probably with the CEO of the investment companies. Uh, how has that changed your leadership? And what do you see as your role then as a leader? Oh, you know, that's the part I miss the most about the legacy businesses, the people. I actually ran into a couple of them at lunch yesterday, and they're not in the media business anymore either, so I feel better about <laughs> that. Uh, but I, I, just being a part of people's lives in the business just presses so many buttons for me. I love being an employer because mm -hmm. if you can create a, a neat place where they go to work, they don't go home and they don't kick their dog or yell at their kids and spouse if they have a good day at work. Right. And I, I, so the people part of it's still just such a huge win for me, and I and I miss that. So I try to I try to be around folks as much as I possibly can, as long as my schedule discipline holds up because we can get uh, tugged around. Mm -hmm. 
But in terms of how the leadership has evolved, it's trying to just be present. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I've gotten in trouble in the past is when I don't rely on all those connections I have and all those guys and gals who know stuff, mm-hmm. and I think that I know what's best. Mm-hmm. And I try to force my will into something. Because some as entrepreneurs and owners of businesses, sometimes you go, I'm just going to put my shoulder into this, and by God, we're going to get it friggin' done. Mm-hmm. That's not always the best answer. Right. Uh, oftentimes, I've been accused of saying finesse is my favorite or second favorite F word. The first is focused. Uh, so be you know clean, clean it up if you wish. You have to use the finesse, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think toward actually Bob Jones as a mentor when we were transitioning out of radio and television stuff. I you know Bob, I'm worried. Can I really do this? And he looked at me in only the way Bob can and said, JP, leadership's fungible. It transfers to other businesses. Yes, sir. (laughs) Okay. But if you're in an industry you don't know or you're with people you don't know or even worse, they know way more than you do Mm -hmm. and you try to tell them exactly what the hell they should be doing, how well does that go? Right. So I'm a bit of an enigma Mm -hmm. because I have to change with what business and circumstance I'm in. There has to be some finesse. Mm-hmm. And when I try to muscle it, that's when it goes badly. Right. Well, the role of the, the leader, I mean, one important role is to help the team or help the organization be successful. And people are people. And so every approach has to be almost completely customized based on what that individual, what that team, what that organization needs. I mean, but it gets, I mean, you do a lot of coaching and consulting and stuff, mm-hmm. and you've probably talked to people about, hey, are you sleeping well? Mm-hmm. You eating well? How's your stress level? Mm-hmm. You know, How's the family? Mm-hmm. How are you doing with your reading? Are you keeping your saw sharp? All these things. Right. Those are not the things that drive a business, but those are the things that allow you to have the energy and capacity to sit across the table mm-hmm. from someone and not be a jerk because you're tired you just ate a pizza and you feel like hell, to be able to be engaged if right. you're doing those right things. Right. You've got to be present. And if you're not sleeping, eating well, doing your stuff, you can get into that mindset of, you know what? I'm in charge. I own this damn company. Why aren't they just doing what I tell them? Mm-hmm. That never goes well. Mm-hmm. You get the stick out and you smack people or you the badge, you know how important I am. I own this company. Mm. No one cares. They don't care. But what they do care is how you treat them. I can promise you if you treat them like crap, they'll care right. and they'll remember because they can go get a job somewhere else. Right. That, that's probably a good segue into another question I wanted to ask you about. Almost all companies right now are talking about talent shortage. And so retaining, recruiting talent is a key priority. What are you seeing companies in your portfolio doing that uh, is working? There are issues, of course, abound in all facets of it. I mean, let's just acknowledge that there's a generational issue. And it's not, oh, people are lazy or it's incentives and all this. No, we have an issue of there's less Gen X then there are boomers. Pandemics sped up the boomers retiring. So it's just, frankly, we have less 
people for mature, skilled roles. Let's not make any judgments. It's a numbers game at the moment. We can all argue about the other stuff. So you have less people just to start. How are you going to treat those people? Are you going to treat them like a number? Are you going to treat them like a human being? Now, it can't be all spa services and uh, free food and all that stuff like they did out in the Bay Area that they've now fired all those people. That went well. Ping pong tables. Yeah, it, it can't be all that. Do you have a best friend at work? Does your boss care about you? Do you feel like you're making a meaningful contribution? Was the job interesting, fun? Are you thinking about it later at night because it's interesting to you? Not because you're obsessed or burned out, but how do I solve that problem? Are you bringing meaning to people's lives? Are you treating them well? It doesn't have to get more complicated than that. And doesn't that still come back to that whole sword in the stone thing of management? Right. Yeah. And I think a, another important distinction to make about from a generational standpoint is that as the baby boomers have moved, have started transitioning into retirement, we also have younger leaders in place. And so we have traditionally had leaders move into roles with multiple years of experience, often within the same organization. And now you have young, younger leaders who are less experienced, and it, it creates a new dynamic. Yeah, well, it does. Um, I just am worried that this is going to turn into the most repetitive, boring guest you've ever had on your podcast, because I'm just going <laughs> to keep pouring it on on leadership and management going, look, treat them like human beings. If you're a young leader, I mean, God, we're, Tad, we're still young leaders. Mm-hmm. We can ask for help. Mm -hmm. There are people out there willing to help us. If you don't know, ask. It's okay. It's not. We're not on the school playground in fourth grade where we ask a question and someone looks at us and goes, well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. That's not how the game works. Get the mentors, ask for help, and put in the work. I mean, frankly, as a young leader, if you put your phone down and ask somebody to help you, they're probably going to do it. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to put in some hours, work a little bit harder than the next person, you're going to crush it. Right. So many people are distracted. Mm -hmm. If you do the basics well, you're going to be fine. You don't have to be the smartest guy. You don't have to have the best degrees. I don't have either of those things. Mm -hmm. I just put in the work. Mm -hmm. Ask others for help and get stuff done. Yeah. There's something I saw one time like about who are the most interesting people out there? It's not the people that talk the most. It's the people that ask you questions. And for some reason, that makes us feel like that person's interesting. It's not the guy on the uh, commercial, the most interesting man in the world. Mm. It's the, the people that are curious, that are asking questions. Yeah. Uh, the name of the book escapes me right now, but uh, one of Patrick Lencioni's most recent ones, there's this learning style, management style, or whatnot he talks about. And I did a little, you know, a little test or whatever online. And uh, one that came back for me was wonder. Mm. And I just wonder about things. Is that, that the working genius? Yes, that's it, working okay. genius. And uh, my highest is wonder. It's mm -hmm. this curiosity of, hmm, wonder what's going on with that person. Wonder what's going on with that process. Mm -hmm. I wonder about that thing over there. Always fascinating. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. It's just constant learner. Some of the work I do is related to strategy, 
What kind of strategy do you encourage or expect among the the companies that you uh, invest in? Well, frankly, let's just have one to begin with. Okay. I mean, how many companies have you talked to? They're just frigging drifting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, all right, put something on paper and go try to do it. Let, you know, let's come on, let's get on mm-hmm. with this. That's one of the reasons we love EOS. I don't mm-hmm. know if you fiddled around with the entrepreneur operating system. Big fan. You know, most people do strategic planning, and I'm hopefully I'm not being offensive to you or mm-hmm. some of your clients, and I apologize if I am, that you know, you put together sometimes these grandiose, monstrous plans. And you fight over punctuation, mm-hmm. and nothing happens. In EOS, it's a handful of things. Go do those handful of things. Can you really do with them? Mm-hmm. Just test it. Go. Just for one, if you have a strategy, you're winning. But then, are you following up with it? Mm-hmm. Weekly, monthly, quarterly. Are you doing what you say you're going to do? Are you holding each other accountable appropriately? You calling each other up? when you need to be better. Mm-hmm. Again, it goes back to basics. Right. No, I, I like the EOS system. I've read the book, Traction, for our listeners. And probably the most important part about it is not only do you develop a strategy, but you really develop a system for implementation. I mean, that's that's probably the biggest thing that I see from my clients is either, like you said, they don't have a strategy or they have one and then they don't do anything with it. And so how do you operationalize a strategy? How do you have follow-up? How do you make sure you get out of the whirlwind of day-to-day experiences and responsibilities like they talk about in the 40X book and like uh-huh. really say, we're going to spend X percentage of our time doing strategic work, and we have to keep all the day-to-day stuff going too, but we, ha- we can't lose sight of that strategic you know, those really important things that matter. Absolutely. And the reality is there's not one system that I say it's perfect. We like EOS. Okay, fine. But we've had a company use uh, Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of people are happy with the balanced scorecard. Don't care. Pick a system. Just Mm -hmm. whatever you do, please, for the love, just use it. Right. What would you say you're most proud of as a leader? When I'm using my powers for good and not evil. And, and that, that is very true. So we, uh, one of my mentors, uh, Craig Jacobus, who actually was his boss for almost 20 years, but which proves managing up does work. He taught me more than I could ever teach him. Uh, he always talked about my badge. As the owner of the company and the CEO, I walk around with a badge on. And it's pretty big. And if I walk around and I say something, it has more weight because I have a big badge. So if I say, you know, I like the color blue, the walls might be blue next week. If I get mad about something or something's not going right and I'm just bent about this thing and why haven't we gotten done, it can crush people. And it's not because of me as JP, because I'm special. No, it's the stupid badge I've got. So when I'm doing it well, and I've slept well, ate well, done all those things you would encourage me to do. Mm -hmm. It's I'm using it and saying, Tad, I appreciate you being here. I really like what you did on your last last podcast or how you worked with that last client. Mm -hmm. You made my day. Here's how you made my day. I appreciate something about you. Thank you for doing this. It's 
turning the knob up, building people up, saying good things, thinking about what we can do. That's where I'm my best. And that self-discipline to always do that is tough. Mm -hmm. Because what do people bring me? The things that are on fire that they don't want. Right. That's the job. Yeah. And so you have to be able to find out how to extinguish it and then still talk about, you know, thank you for bringing me that problem right now before it turned into a monstrous forest fire. Mm -hmm. So it's putting that energy, that love, that belief into others while still holding them accountable. Right. It's a tough deal. It is. I I think it's interesting when when I look at science on giving people feedback and the they suggest the ratio should be like five or six to one positive to constructive. And that's really hard as a leader. They even have the same ratio. So I was teaching this in a leadership workshop sometime and somebody said, you know, that's the same ratio they teach in marriage counseling. Seven to one or something. Yeah, something right? like that. And and for most of us as leaders, for most of us as spouses, as parents, as friends, we don't even come close probably to one-to-one or two-to-one. Yeah. And so I think it takes a real intentional effort. And that, that's a statistic I've been sharing a lot lately because I think it's something that all of us need to take to heart. And when we practice it, there's something we get in return too. Because I think it builds, it kind of fills our uh, cup and well, helps us. It's the giving. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the best juice. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it's our, you know, one of our favorite books we give out, The Go-Giver. I don't know if you've ever uh, mm-hmm. read uh, it's, it's how how do you put more into people? How do you give? How do you build them up? But that's 7X, man. That's hard. Mm-hmm. That takes real effort. It does. I mean, you mean this is work and we actually have to get paid to do difficult things? Of course, we could also wander into the whole biblical thing and talk about how Jesus says we're supposed to forgive, what, not seven, but 77? Oh, now it gets real hard, right? Right, absolutely. But you just you know, mentioned your faith. How does that influence your, your leadership? Uh, uh, hopefully more. <laughs> the, uh, uh, my license plate is CHFCP. It's what I want on my tombstone. It's an acronym, Catholic Husband, Father, CEO, Pilot. And it is in order. I believe that we're all children of God. And true leadership and management is treating people like that. Yeah, you have to have tough conversations. uh, But that doesn't mean you have to be nasty. Mm -hmm. If you have a real tough conversation where you want to make the other person better or help them get there, that's really showing love. That's being a Christian. That doesn't mean you beat them over the head. It's that balance. You know, we don't want to, you know, pistol whip people with our wonderful advice. Unsolicited advice is the junk mail of life, right? Um, but now the, the faith is uh, the number one uh, piece uh, in my life. Um, I don't always live up to it. That's that whole, you know, sinful nature from the beginning piece. Uh, but one of our uh, key things for South Central is we walk by faith from Corinthians. I frankly don't know how to do this otherwise. It goes back to that lack of skill, intellect, training, whatever you want to say. There is a bigger thing at play. And I'm not the owner of South Central. I'm just the guy taking care of the stuff for God. 
And I get in trouble when I forget that. Mm -hmm. So I try little hacks here and there to try to remember whether it's, you know, daily prayer, a little sign in front of myself or whatnot of who's really in charge and whose stuff it really is. Mm -hmm. And we got to give glory to God when we can. I think it's, it's important no matter, you know, what our faith practice or our personal beliefs are as leaders to recognize the higher purpose that we have and to recognize the importance of bringing purpose out of the people around us. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just about if you own a, a company that does, is in the manufacturing space. It's not just about the widgets you make. It's about the lives you're leading and uh, that you're contributing something to those around you. And, and, and hopefully we're all really mindful of leaving the world a better place than we, than we found it. Amen. I don't have anything else to say to that. And you just roll that by like yours. It's good. <laughs> are, are there any setbacks that you've experienced as a leader that you think have kind of influenced who you are today? Oh, I was hoping we were stopping there. That was so nice. Um, <laughs> no, the, yeah, it's usually when I, it, it's me getting out over my skis, not mm -hmm. pacing myself. We've already, we've talked about this. It's, yeah. it's where I lack my self-discipline. When I'm not the best that I can be, how can I lead well? Mm -hmm. I get in my own way. Yeah. The external factors really don't matter that much. Mm -hmm. Sure, it's it's the pile of stuff we have to do. It's the right. problems. It's the this or that. No, it's me. Mm -hmm. I'm the screw-up. I'm the idiot. I got to fix me first. It's physician heal thyself, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, being a pilot, it's never the airplane that kills people. It's the idiot in the left seat up front that kills people. It's never the airplane. But that's the same thing for leadership. Mm -hmm. It isn't the business. It's not the product that causes the problem. It's the sword and the stone. Mm -hmm. It's management. What are you excited about right now? Could Lots be, of things. Could be, you know, community, family, work. Um, what are you excited about? I'm fortunate that when I get up, I get excited. Um, I'm lucky I get to do some really great stuff. But if you were to wonder why I get excited, it's the people. I'm so fortunate that I love my kids. I love my wife. I got some great friends. I love my team here. I get to work with really cool people. I don't really want much more than that. That's what I get excited about. I mean, Monday, we love Mondays around here. It's awesome. It's like, all right, what do we get to do today? Who do we get to do it with? Okay, there's a problem. Fine. Do you have it? You got it? Yep, great. Moving on to the next thing. Because if I have somebody who's got the problem, okay. I mean, and plus, isn't it fun to believe in someone mm -hmm. when you know that person has got your back or has got the problem? There is pride in that. You're like, oh, yeah, she's got it. Go. I love that feeling um, because with the right people, you can do anything. Right. No, I, I, love, I love Mondays waking up and 
uh, I, I feel my I feel very fortunate to have work that I that's meaningful and that I enjoy and I feel like I contribute to, and uh, I think that's a really special thing. And unfortunately, not everybody feels that way. No, and I I really wish we could help people find that purpose. And it's not it doesn't have to be, you know, Saint Mother Teresa stuff here. I mean, if you like cutting grass, great. I remember as a kid, I loved cutting grass. Cut a row. Look, I cut that row. That's awesome. I like immediate feedback. <laughs> right. Great. Hey, you know, pilot flying a long haul flight successfully did the mission. If it's you got, if you're a mom and you got through the day, and the kids are okay, that's a win. Mm-hmm. It's whatever that win is for you. All of it can have meaning for the right person. And I just wish we could help more people find that yeah. instead of just dying in the distraction of these little stupid devices that are the new fall of man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Well, JP, thank you very much for joining us on this interview. Really appreciate your time. How can people find out more about you or South Central? SouthCentralInc.com or JP Engelbrecht on LinkedIn. All right. Well, thank you again, and I hope you have a great rest of the day, and our listeners appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks for the opportunity. To learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel Group, please visit tadickel.com. Thank you for joining us.